Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador, and we are here live in New York, 17 blocks from Madison Square Garden in New York City. Now, check this out. We're talking about guns and goons and government waste. But first, I want to talk about what Donaldus Magnus, El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente, had to say in his interview with Sean Hannity in our third segment. Right now, I want to jump right into what's going on with everything across America. Now, when I say I want to talk about guns, that's not really what I want to talk about precisely in a roundabout way it is. You see, look, there's this restaurant that I go to in the morning and, you know, I get my coffee there and there's a woman online and she tells the the woman at the counter, how many more shootings do we need to have before they do something about it? And immediately in my brain, I think to myself, who is this they that she's talking about when she says they do something about it? Moreover, I think to myself, how many more drunk driving deaths do we need to have before they do something about it? For that matter, how many more murders of any kind do we need to have before they do something about it? Now, of course, this woman had her heart in the right place. It's a question she was rhetorically asking, but it was misguided because obviously it's a false equivalency. It's a logical fallacy. She's making an equivalence between two different things, but it's based on faulty reasoning. She's trying to compare two things as if they're actually worth the same thing when they're not. It kind of uh, creates this presumption that people are allowing this to go on. And that's false. Nobody's allowing bad people to do bad things. I mean, like I said, how many more murders do we have to have until somebody does something about it? Now, of course, when I put it that way, it sounds a lot more illogical because it is illogical. Now, why does this matter in the in the first place. I think it matters because the media has access to all of the same information that you and I have access to, but still push the story that guns are what's violent. They push this whole gun violence narrative. Of course, that's because they want to limit and eventually end legal gun ownership. But that doesn't stop the bad guys from doing what they're going to do with guns or with cars or with knives or with anything else. So if we use logic instead of emotion, we realize that the problem is with people, within their heart, within their mind, not with the gun. Years ago, I uh, wrote a column. I was a columnist at the Washington Times, Communities Digital News. And I wrote an article in April of 2013, so eight years ago. And I'm going to read you a passage from it. And I want you to tell me if what I wrote about eight years ago, if it's still relevant today. The article's entitled, 
The A-List on Americanism. That's the name of the column. The article's called Gun Control or People Control. Washington Times, April 2nd, 2013, April 3rd. President Obama recently spoke, surrounded by relatives of the children slaughtered last year in Newtown, Connecticut, from the White House saying, quote, shame on us if we've forgotten. He excoriated Congress in his March 28th speech, a sharp retort following comments suggesting that President Obama was dragging his feet on new anti-gun legislation. That's what the critics called, and they called the measure that he introduced this year unconstitutional, arguing that they violated the Second Amendment. I'm one of those critics. They consider his actions opportunistic, taking advantage of anti-gun sentiment in the wake of the Newtown massacre, Sandy Hook. Now, one politician who did jump on the media tidal wave following the heartbreaking Sandy Hook Elementary School murders was New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg, who co-chairs the, quote, Mayors Against Illegal Guns Coalition, has organized a multi-state campaign with more than 120 events designed to push individual states to demand common sense gun reforms regarding gun violence, quote unquote, making their national day to demand action. Now, meanwhile, Second Amendment supporters and the National Rifle Association, the NRA, they won a victory when Senator, then Senator Harry Reid announced that he would drop the provision in the Senate's gun bill banning assault weapons, a move that his supporters say upholds Americans' rights to defend themselves, according to the Second Amendment Foundation. Now, what's interesting here is, again, this is eight years ago. Harry Reid is long gone since then. Obama's long gone since then. But these guys are all doing the same thing, taking advantage of situations and wheeling and dealing to try and limit and eventually end legal gun ownership. That's truly what they're after. They're not really after stopping violence. Because you can't stop the depravity of one's heart, right or wrong. Now, in the rest of this piece that I write, according to the Second Amendment Foundation, self-defense is a human right. The foundation makes the case that U.S. cities with the highest incidences of gun-related violent crime are in the states with the strictest gun laws restricting an individual's right to self-defense by keeping and bearing arms. Washington politicians aren't the only ones debating gun policy. NBC News reports that the entertainment aristocrat Tony Bennett and Hollywood superstar Bruce Willis recently chimed in on opposite sides of the same issue, with Bennett saying, I still haven't gotten over Connecticut. I'd like the assault weapons to go away. We don't need war in our own country. I'd like assault weapons eliminated, Bennett said. In a recent interview with the Associated Press, Bruce Willis said, I think you can't start to pick apart anything out of the Bill of Rights without thinking that it's all going to become undone. Brilliant, Mr. Willis. If you take one thing out or you change one law, then why wouldn't they take all your rights away from you? Yesterday, former Representative Asa Hutchinson, now governor, says uh, he released a 225 report on school safety. The report funded by the NRA recommends properly trained armed employees to provide an important layer of security in schools. School safety is a complex issue with no simple single solution. But I believe trained, qualified armed security is one component among many, Hutchinson said in a press conference unveiling the NRA's Education and Training Emergency Response Program. Hutchinson saying that gun control does not keep children safe when someone sets out with a desire to harm them. This is an act that does not necessarily require guns. So do we need gun reform or people reform? That's the question. Is it guns that kill people or people that kill people? Will restricting the Constitution by making it harder for citizens to exercise their rights for gun ownership make us any safer? Will it prevent the perpetrators of violent crime from illegally obtaining guns? Of course not. Will stricter gun laws or enhanced background checks stop muggers, bank robbers, or serial killers? Nope again. 
Or will allowing citizens to exercise their right to use guns, defend their families and property against muggers, bank robbers, and serial killers make us all safer? Well, amen. I agree with this guy, Rich Valdez. He did a good job here. So some say that enacting stricter gun laws on law-abiding citizens to prevent gun violence is like restricting car ownership to prevent car theft or vehicular homicide. Others argue that the benefits of stricter gun laws are worth lots of costs, and they leverage the emotions that accompany the tragedies like Newtown, Sandy Hook, to make their case. Americans on Main Street and on Capitol Hill are increasingly skeptical. Public support for gun control has weakened according to a lot of different polls, from CBS News, CNN, etc., at least back in 2013. Real solutions will be difficult to find if we as parents, voters, and concerned citizens don't ask ourselves some tough questions about what we expect gun laws to accomplish. Why is there so much gun violence in America? What the heck is gun violence to begin with? And whether or not we need more gun reform or people reform? Who do you agree with, Tony Bennett or Bruce Willis? Most importantly, why? This, to me, is the issue. It's always been the issue. And it's not just about guns. It's on anything. It's people. When we're talking about the left, we're talking about people. If people are depraved in and of themselves, within themselves, then the problem is dealing with people. It's dealing with broken people, not with limiting a law-abiding citizen's right to get a gun. Anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Keep it locked right there because coming up next, again, we're going to play that clip from Trump sitting down with Hannity plus Maxine Waters, the judge blasting her back, Officer Brian Sicknick, the results of his autopsy, and so much more. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. What's up, America? Welcome back. Bienvenido. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Get at me on Parlor, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm looking forward to connecting with you guys and hearing your comments and integrating your input on the program into the program. Now, Maxine Waters has called out the goons. The goon squad have been called out. You've probably heard this clip, but it's not going to hurt you to listen to it again because it's so revelatory. It really shows who she is. Now, again, this isn't the first time. She's done this stuff before. She's called for extreme measures, violence, unrest, getting at people, getting in their faces. Now, listen, I call for some of those things too, not violence and unrest and things like that, but a a peaceful protest for people to really just become involved as activists, for people to stop just staying home and saying, you know, it's the the key here to success is going to be for me to do um, more letter writing to my congressman, more keyboard warrior stuff on parlor and Twitter and whatever. That's not really going to change America because we're talking to the same people. But again, if you can grow your following on these um, social media platforms, then you are reaching new people. So that's a good thing. But my point is we do have to go beyond whatever it is we're comfortable with, right? That's why I'm thinking of adding a fourth episode every week of This Is America. Not sure if I'm going to do it yet, but you guys let me know at Rich Valdez or you can go to richvaldez.com. Therichvaldez.com is our website where you can go to the contact rich section and drop a note and let me know what your thoughts are. I do read them and I really appreciate the feedback. Anyway, Maxine Waters, she's called for violence yet again. Now you've heard her do it in the past and you would think she might have learned her lesson. No, not so fast. Maxine Waters is at it again or Mad Maxine as some of them call her. But I want you to listen to this clip from Maxine Waters. Check this out. We're looking for a guilty verdict. 
We're looking for a guilty verdict, and we're looking to see if all of the fault that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that say guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we got, we cannot go away. And not just manslaughter, right? I mean... Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree Congressman, murder. what happens if we do not get, get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. Now, the problem here with Maxine Waters and these calls for all this crazy stuff is that it puts people in a bad situation. First of all, you've got the judge in the Jarek uh, Chauvin trial who pretty much blasted her saying that, you know, this is um, something he wished Congress would not do. And I got to agree with him. In particular, I wish it was something Maxine Waters wouldn't do because she's just so annoying when she calls for all of these things and that voice of hers, which I haven't figured out how to do an impression of her yet. But uh, I'll get it. I'll get it. You'll be the first to hear it. Check out what the judge had to say. Listen to this. I'm aware of the media reports. I'm aware that Congresswoman Waters was talking specifically about this trial and about the unacceptability of uh, anything less than a murder conviction and talk about being confrontational, but you can submit the press articles about that. This goes back to what I've been saying from the beginning. I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch and our function. I think if they want to give their opinions, they should do so in a respectful and in a manner that is consistent with their oath to the Constitution, to respect a co-equal branch of government. Their failure to do so, I think, is abhorrent, but I don't think it has prejudiced us with additional uh, material that would prejudice this jury. They have been told not to watch the news. I trust they are following those instructions and that there is not in any way uh, a prejudice to the defendant beyond the articles that we're talking specifically about the facts of this case. A congresswoman's opinion really doesn't matter a whole lot. Now, if that weren't bad enough, the lawyer for Derek Chauvin, the defense said, you know what? This is tainting everything. Everybody knows what's going on. We're getting alerts on our phone because Maxine Waters is is spitting all this dribble all over the place. Listen to this. My phone gives me alerts on things that just happened. I mean, you can't avoid it. And it is so pervasive that it is, I just don't know how this jury, it can really be said to be that they are free from the taint of this. Um, And now that we have U.S. representatives uh, threatening acts of of, violence in relation to the specific case, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, Judge. Well, I'll give you that Congresswoman and Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. So it's true that this goon squad may, in effect, really screw things up for everybody, right? For the left in particular. But somebody that doesn't agree is Jen Pasirkoback Pasaki. That's right, Jen Pasirkoback Pasaki. Silent P, of course. She says that 
Uh, well, you know, I'm not sure, blah, 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 blah. She dances around this whole thing with uh, respect to Maxine Waters' call for violence. Listen to Jen back Pasaki. Check this out. You talked about how the White House is preparing for whatever that verdict is. Congresswoman Maxine Waters said over the weekend that they need to, we've got to stay on the street and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know that we mean business. Does the president agree with what she said about getting more confrontational? Well, I can speak to the president's view. Um, he has been very clear that he recognizes the issue of police violence against people of color. Communities of color is one of great anguish, and it's uh, exhausting and quite emotional at times. Uh, as you know, he met with the Floyd family last year and has been closely following the trial, as we've been talking about, and is committed to undoing this long-standing systemic problem. Uh, his view is also that exercising First Amendment rights and protesting injustice is the most American thing that anyone can do. But as he also always says, protests must be peaceful. Uh, that's what he continues to call for and what he continues to believe is the right way to approach uh, responding. Yep. Tap dancing and tap dancing is what she does best. She dances around every question. She will circle back with the best of them. Now, what's interesting to me is yesterday I was uh, supporting my friend Curtis Sliwa. Curtis Sliwa is a decades-long crime fighter. He's been on this program. You've heard from him many times. So on my way to this event where Curtis Sliwa was speaking at the New York Young Republicans Clubhouse, I was walking from the subway station to the event location, and all I saw was cop after cop after cop in their uh, riot gear, ready to go. You're talking about five o'clock, six o'clock in the, uh, you know, evening, the police vans lining up, starting to put the barricades, closing down streets in midtown Manhattan. And everybody's bracing for the riots that are to come. It's almost as if, you know, if he, if he gets acquitted, there's a riot. If he doesn't get acquitted, there's still going to be a riot. I mean, whatever the case is. Now, this overreach isn't an overreach for a lot of people, right? So, and what I mean is, they went for murder one, murder this, murder that, manslaughter. They put a bunch of charges on him. I was speaking with America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, yesterday. I bumped into him at the uh, studio. And he said, you know what? From his purview, if he were the prosecutor, he also would have went with murder one. And I said, really? Wow, how do you figure? And he said, well, he said the video I saw, which was, you know, nine minutes long or whatever. He said the people in the crowd are telling him, you're killing him, he can't breathe. His fellow officers, to his right and left, were available to help. He could have repositioned himself and had the support of other officers. And one theory that came up in conversation is that this could potentially constitute a premeditation. And that premeditation doesn't have to be from months ago or years ago or even the night before. But in the first minute or two minutes or three minutes, he could say, you know, if I stay here long enough, this guy might just stop breathing. And again, this is all hypothetical. This is not, you know, um, the mayor's opinion or my opinion. We were just throwing back, you know, strategy on, on the defense, just analysis overall with hypotheticals. But the fact that the people in the crowd were freaking out saying, you're killing him, you're killing him, you're killing him. Now, again, I'm sure that happens all the time. We also saw it happen with Eric Gardner. Eric Gardner also had people saying, and he famously said he couldn't breathe. George Floyd said he couldn't breathe. Now, I understand bad guys will say just about anything. Oh, my handcuffs hurt so they can get out of this or get out of that. Oh, I'm sick. Take me to the doctor so I don't have to go to jail. 
Things like that happen all the time. But I don't think you you must exercise a hard and fast rule of never believe the bad guy. I think we must exercise a hard and fast rule of always using our best judgment. And upon seeing that video, I know that what I saw didn't look like good judgment. I know that what I saw looked like something that could be lethal. And I think that's why we have the problems that we have today. Now, of course, there's always going to be a contingent of people that are like, oh, he was a low life. He was a drug addict. He was on three times the amount of fentanyl needed to kill 14 elephants. Okay. All of that doesn't change the fact that he had this knee to his neck, to his shoulder, whatever the case may be. And in my opinion, this guy didn't have to die and he may not have otherwise died. I don't think we can conclusively say that he was guaranteed to die because of the fentanyl in his system. Maybe some doctor might say that, but I just don't think so. Because the guy, it just happened to be that day that he was in handcuffs getting stepped on by this cop that he had his most fatal OD. This had happened to him again in 2019 earlier where he had gotten into a similar situation, went to the hospital. So I'm not led to believe that that he's guaranteed to be dead because of drug use. And I'm not defending the drug use or defending criminality. I'm just calling it like I see it. This thing is about the shadow of a doubt. And I don't think that Mr. Chauvin intended to kill him. So that's why I think outside of a hung jury, I don't think he gets away uh, with anything. And we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Interestingly, speaking about coroners and autopsies and whatnot, an autopsy for the officer in the Capitol riot has just come back. And very interesting. It's quite the contrary than we heard in the media. But I'm going to jump into that on the other side. So keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all social media. This is America. I'll be right back. This is America. Welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all the social media. And Monday's New York Post headline, I looked at the cover. The cover of the New York Post says, my hands are tied. And of course, it's making reference to a judge who's saying that his hands were tied. He could not keep the criminal that shoved an Asian person onto the subway tracks. Turns out this Asian person was an undercover cop seeking out instances of Asian hate crimes. Go figure. They do their job, the NYPD, they arrest this guy. And then the judge says, look, because of the bail reform laws where I can't charge cash bail, I can't keep him in jail, I'm very sorry. Now, of course, uh, in conversations with prosecutors and other attorneys, they tell me, look, the judge is full of it. The judge wants to go along to get along because there's other things he can do. He can say the guy's crazy. They can put a 72-hour mental illness hold on him. There's many things they can do saying that he's still a danger to society and we've got to hold this guy, uh, remanded into custody. But no, he didn't. They let him go. Because there's a one-sided deal here. Some say it's a uh, two-tier justice system. I don't know, maybe there's more tiers than just two. But I do know that it's more than one side. BLM protesters, video that I saw on Mr. Producer's um, feed, Mr. Producer Media, great, great video content if you want to check it out on Rumble. BLM protesters 
leave when they learned that the victim was white. <laughs> so there's a bunch of people gathered and they drop to a knee, set off to march over a fatal police shooting only to return when they learned it was a white carjacker who had fired at police, according to reports. Dozens of people, and this is in Minnesota, dozens of people were protesting outside Governor Tim Walz's mansion in St. Paul on Sunday. They were filmed by Fox 9 reporter Mitty Hicks and they knelt for a moment of silence over initial rumors that it was a fatal shooting. The man who was killed is believed to be a white man in his 20s who had stolen a car from a woman at gunpoint. Oh, wow. Somebody tell Andrew Cuomo from CNN because apparently he doesn't know that white people get shot by the police too. In fact, it's probably more white people. Not probably. I mean, all of the data shows that it's more white people getting shot, unarmed white people, by the police than African Americans are. But the facts don't matter when you're trying to tell a one-sided story. When you're trying to make every single thing that every single person does about race and ultimately reverse racism to the point where it's not just we're not racists. No, no, no. Because a colorblind society is not enough. They want it to be so that people are racist against white people. Whiteness is bad. Black is supreme. Black supremacy is as dangerous as white supremacy, Hispanic supremacy, if there is even such a thing. Any type of racial or ethnic supremacy is a bad thing. But that's what happens when you have these situations where people want to do whatever the heck they want to do. New York is a crazy place. So is Minnesota. So are all these places. So many different things happen. Government abuse is government abuse. Now, we're going to get into Cuomo and what's going on with the criminal investigation into him and the details around that. But I want to talk about this crisis at the border because ultimately, it's the media allowing these lies, whether it's the critical race theory lies, the BLM lies, whatever it is, the media allows lies to go unchecked for the purpose of promoting propaganda. They want you to believe the lie. So Joe Biden over the weekend, he's caught on tape saying, uh, you know, we're trying to fix the border crisis. Well, you know, let, let's listen to him say it rather than me say it. Check out Joe Biden admitting that there's a crisis at the border. And if you're on the refugee camps, how is it Now, of course, our favorite person in the White House Communications Department, Jen Pasirko Back Pasaki, silent P, of course. Jen Pasirko Back Pasaki says that no, 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 no. It's what's a crisis is what's happening in their countries, in the Northern Triangle. Everything happens in this northern triangle. This northern triangle, which is south of our border, by the way, but this northern triangle is where everything happens and all things to blame happen there. And by the way, the blame, if you listen to AOC, all out crazy, is you, me, America. We are to blame for everything that's happened in the northern triangle. But anyway, that was indeed the crisis. Listen to Jen Pasirko back Pasaki. Check this out. President Biden over the weekend, mm -hmm called what happened at the border a crisis. Is that now the official White House position that there is indeed a crisis at the border? Well, let me first say um, that we have made some progress, um, some progress in moving children from uh, out of 
border patrol facilities into shelters. Nearly a thousand unaccompanied minors were transferred out of CBP facilities and into the care of Health and Human Services just this weekend. We are still have a lot of work to do, but we that is a step forward in our view. The president does not feel that children coming to our border seeking refuge from violence, economic hardships, and other dire circumstances is a crisis. He does feel that the crisis in Central America, the dire circumstances that many are fleeing from, that he that that is a situation we need to spend our time, our effort on, and we need to address it if we're going to prevent more of an influx of uh, migrants from coming in years to come. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. This is one of those things where you just, you got to listen to it and take in every last word because she's just so good at being full of it. That's what they do. That's what the Dems are expert at. But somebody that's expert at calling them out on their stuff, and I don't mean me and you and so many of us in our movement, but I mean the leader, El Trompito. Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente, he sat down with Sean Hannity, and we have a clip from that interview. I want you to listen to this, because he's going to blast Biden in true Trumpian fashion. My question is this. Imagine, well, first of all, your overall take on how dangerous this is, and number two, imagine if your president... And you have these are Trump's cages overflowing with kids in the middle of a pandemic. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade that with a high positivity of COVID, what do you think the media, because there's been virtual silence on a lot of the aspects, I would, I would argue if it was a daycare center, you'd be shut down and charged with child abuse. They would not stand for it. And they're playing it down as much as they can play it down. It's a horrible situation, could destroy our country. People are pouring in, but you'll see something as the months go by, like you've never seen before. Already it's like you've never seen before. There's never been anything like what's happened at our border. And people are coming in by the tens of thousands. They're walking in. They, they, we had, all he had to do was leave it alone. <laughs> I love it. I love it when El Trompito comes in, guns blazing, taking no prisoners, just telling the truth the way it is. Because you know what? That's what America needs. That's what America deserves. And that's what El Trompito is so good at doing unvarnished truth, critique, criticism, the facts, his commentary. He's just great at it. Few do it as good as he does. Although there's Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis does a, an equally or good of a job in uh, critiquing the left and pushing back on their nonsense. Now, speaking of nonsense, how could we forget our buddy who's been hiding out these last few days? We haven't heard from him. He hasn't touched a young lady in a while. Uh, we're starting to miss him, right? Essential Andy Cuomo from the Essential Andy Cuomo podcast. Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, he is facing criminal investigation by the attorney general over his book. And this is in the Albany Times Union by Chris Bragg. Already facing several state and federal investigations, Governor Andrew Cuomo is the focus of a new probe into his alleged use of government staff to help produce a best 
best-selling book last year. Oh my goodness, could it be? On April 13th, State Controller Tom DiNapoli invoked a state in executive law to issue a formal referral letter requesting a criminal investigation by State Attorney General Letitia James. Under state law, DiNapoli is authorized to make the request and to bestow jurisdiction on the matter to the Attorney General's office. Quote, Allegations have recently emerged that public resources may have been used in the development and promotion of the governor's book, American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic, DiNapoli wrote in a memo to James. DiNapoli requested an investigation saying, quote, related to the use of property, services, or resources of the state for personal purposes, private business purposes, or compensated non-governmental purposes by the executive chamber, including but not limited to the drafting, editing, sale, and promotion of the governor's book and any related financial or business transactions. The New York Times first reported on Monday that James was pursuing an inquiry in response to DiNapoli's letter. Spokesperson for the Attorney General's office confirmed the receipt of the controller's letter, but told the Times Union their office would not comment further on an ongoing investigation. Quote, we have officially jumped the shark. The idea that there was criminality involved here is patently absurd on its face and is just the furthering of a political pylon. That's Richard as a party senior advisor to Governor Cuomo, as he said in a statement responding to the investigation by DiNapoli. He went on, any state official who volunteers to assist on this project did so uh, or did so with uh, their own time and without the use of state resources. This is kind of like what they said the last time, right? No, no, no. This had nothing to do with nothing. Everybody did it on their own. I I wasn't twisting anybody's arm with the COVID-19. They happen to be my friends. I called them. That's all I'm saying. These guys know, they think they know every trick in the book. Now, to the extent a document was printed, it was incidental, is what he says, Mr. Azapardi. This is Albany politics at its worst. Now, a number of high-ranking aides helped him produce the book. They include, oh, good old Melissa DeRosa, budget director Robert Mujica, Gareth Rhodes, who's a deputy superintendent at the Department of Financial Services, Jim Malataris, chancellor for the State University of New York, and both of these guys have served on the governor's coronavirus task force, which um, they've asserted was all voluntary. There were also other people involved, blah, blah, blah. You can read it if you want. I'll tweet this out at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez on Parler. This type of government abuses, these things happen all the time. Stuff like this occurs regularly. I remember once, I'm not going to get into too many details because I still see these people, but I will tell you this. I was once back in this time of, you know, 2011, 12, 13, that, that time frame. I was still working uh, for Governor Christie and I was asked to go on a TV program to um, give my opinions on his policies. And I did. Uh, You know, I went as a private individual, not on behalf of the administration. I gave my thoughts, you know, as we were heading into election time. And they pitted me against a councilman from a big city in New Jersey. And nice guy, really good guy. But I couldn't help but notice that to do a TV hit Coming in from New Jersey, he drove to Manhattan to the TV studio in his official vehicle with his official plates parked illegally, which he could do because he had official plates from another state. And they figured, hey, the NYPD won't tow us or, you know, give us a ticket or whatever. And did all of that, had an aide with him. It was the middle of the day. I had taken off from work and um, I don't know that they did because... 
the state rules that I knew said if I was in a state vehicle and I was going to go do my own uh, electioneering, uh, election volunteering, that I would have to go on my own dime. I couldn't go in my state-issued vehicle and just show up and park it wherever I want. Be like, no, I'm here on my official business. I'm not even in New Jersey. You're not even allowed to leave the state of New Jersey on official business without filling out a form, a travel request form. So, you know, it's just really interesting that those things happen so regularly that people don't even try to hide them because most people don't realize that that's wrong. I mean, they know it's wrong, but they know that people don't know it's wrong, so nobody's going to call them out on it. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal about that, but I'm just using that one example that stuck out to me. And I've seen things like this happen time and again. So it doesn't surprise me that the Cuomo book, in fact, one article, a different article, was saying that this was sent out from his Cuomo for Governor Inc. account, email account, using campaign funds for the promotion of the book. I mean, all of it stinks to high heaven, right? This is not a perfunctory witch hunt. This is appropriate. This is, you're breaking the rules, you're using state resources, you're writing this book, you're saying you're terrific, you've presided over the deaths, coronavirus deaths of more senior citizens than any other governor. You're a hot mess, a disgrace, a disaster, essential, Andy. You're essentially the worst governor in America. Then you have to, you pull off a bailout. People are getting unemployment funds they haven't even asked for. They're just wealth transferring away. The ineptitude is vast. But what can one expect? What can one expect in New York? I mean, this is what New York, sadly, has to offer so much of the time. Speaking of New York... Republicans are now spotlighting AOC's uh, political action committee and saying her contributions are going to vulnerable House Democrats. But at least four moderate Democrats are turning back the contributions, returning them, uh, because they said that, you know, this signals an endorsement of the party's most liberal policies, and this can hurt them with their constituents. So the Republican Party's congressional campaign arm launched a website on Monday calling on more than two dozen Democrats, some from highly competitive districts in the U.S. House of Representatives, to give back $5,000 donations from the fundraising efforts started last year by AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congressperson from the Bronx and Queens. And now at least three Democrats who were not on the list had already refunded these contributions made in March by the end of the month. And that's according to um, campaign finance records at the FEC, the Federal Election Commission. A fourth Democrat Chris Pappas. Oh, I know Chris Pappas. My buddy Matt Mowers ran against him and gave him a big run for his money in New Hampshire. He also returned the money, uh, and it seems that they're all returning the money, not because the Democrats are, pre- are being pressured by Republicans, but because they themselves are realizing, this is going to screw me over with my own constituents. And that's the big part. Now, AOC, rock star fundraiser, raised $2.8 million in the first three months of this year. That compares with roughly $4 million raised by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who's been there for 400 years. Just kidding. She's been there for a long time. Now, Republicans picked up about 10 House seats in November's election. That's 2020. That's, you know, the election everybody, oh, you'll never win again. Oh, they rigged this, they rigged that. Look, Republicans have won and are winning. Do not lose hope. Some moderate Democrats blamed the party's congressional losses in 2020 on the willingness of some colleagues to embrace the idea of defunding police departments as well as policies labeled, quote-unquote, socialists by conservatives. 
Democrats who called for legislation to address climate change, the expansion of health care to all Americans, and to reform all of the U.S. immigration laws were accused by Republicans of advocating extreme left-wing policies and their right. So that's what it boils down to. AOC is scaring the crap out of people. One of the lawmakers gave back the money, Alyssa Slotkin. She said in the report that the money was unsolicited, and that's why she gave it back. So either AOC's just mailing out checks the way Andrew Cuomo's mailing out checks to people all over New York to keep them employed or keep them unemployed so that when the restaurant workers in New York City want to come back because they want to bring back Broadway, they want to open up the economy, what does the state do? Let me go in and give you more money, get more money from the feds so that we can give out all sorts of money. I'm telling you right now, if there's a way that I can get my hands on one of these checks, yesterday I heard that um, the billionaire owner of WABC, our good friend John Katzenmatidis, he was on the air and I heard him say that he got a $1,400 stimulus check. Now we all know that he doesn't need it. He was admitting he didn't need it. I also spoke to somebody on the phone who told me, look, I made $2 million last year and I got a stimulus check. Not only for me, I got one for every member of my household. So clearly, it's not malfeasance, it's maladministration. They don't know what they're doing. The Democrats have to go. No matter where they are, we've got to get these Democrats and we've got to get them the heck out of office. Until the next one, America. You have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And of course, the only thing that's necessary for people to lose And for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. And that's a paraphrase from Sir Edmund Burke. And the first one was from Hamilton. So do something, know something, read something, take action. We have to make a difference. We have to reach people. Like the old African proverb, each one, reach one and teach one. It's the only way to win back the hearts and minds. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.